And a very good evening to you. Welcome to the Catholic View. I'm Sheila Pirsch. Thank you so much for being here with me. Coming up in today's broadcast of the Catholic View, we bring our youth feature as we focus on the upcoming retreat for young adults in Rustenburg. We also take a look at youth unemployment. And finally, Catholic school sports updates. But for now, though, do stay tuned as Mahadi Butelezi is on standby to bring you up to date with some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and beyond. Listen to Radio Veritas, 576 AM, for a change. Bringing you your news headlines from Africa and beyond, Pope Francis preaches on the Sacred Heart and Priests' Hearts, Vatican Summit on Human Trafficking and Increasing Role of Technology in the Workplace. Good evening, I am Mahadi Butelezi. Pope Francis celebrated Holy Mass for the conclusion of the Jubilee for Priests on Friday, the Solemnity of the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus. In his homily for the feast, the Holy Father reflected on two hearts, the heart of the Good Shepherd and the hearts of priests. The heart of the Good Shepherd is not only the heart that shows us mercy, but is itself mercy, the Pope said in his homily. He reminded priests that the heart of the Good Shepherd reaches out to us, above all, to those who are most distant. The contemplation of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the heart of the Good Shepherd, is an invitation to priests to reflect on the question, where is my heart directed? Priestly ministry, the Pope said, is often caught up in plans, projects, and activities. But while this is necessary, the Holy Father invited priests to consider that the heart of Jesus is directed to two treasures, the Father and ourselves. Jesus' days, he said, were divided between prayer to the Father and encountering people. And like Jesus, the priest should have his heart turned towards God and towards his brothers and sisters. Pope Francis then offered three suggestions to help priests' hearts burn with the charity of the Good Shepherd. Seek out, include, and rejoice. Like the Good Shepherd who goes out to find lost sheep, priests must not only keep the doors open, but actively go out to find those who are lost. Priests, too, must be inclusive, welcoming everyone. No one, the Pope said, must be excluded from his heart, his prayer, or his smile. Finally, the joy of Jesus, the Good Shepherd, is not a joy for oneself alone, but a joy for others and with others, the true joy of love. And this is also the joy of the priest. The Holy Father concluded his homily by recalling the words of consecration, prayed each day by priests at the Mass. This is my body, which is given up for you. Pope Francis told the assembled priests, This is the meaning of our life. With these words, in a real way, we can daily renew the promises we made at our priestly ordination. And he thanked them for saying yes to giving their lives in union with Jesus. I'm Christopher Wells. The Pontifical Academy of Social Sciences is hosting a two-day summit on human trafficking and organized crime. Among those addressing the opening session of the meeting is Ambassador Susan Kopich, the new U.S. Ambassador at Large for Monitoring and Combating Trafficking in Persons. She spoke to Philippa Hitchin about her own work in this field and also about her hopes for the Vatican Conference. 
I don't think of it as dangerous. I look at it as helping the individuals that didn't have a voice. I used to stand next to young women. Those were predominantly the cases I worked on were young women in court as they spoke to a U.S. federal judge. And these were women who thought law enforcement would not believe them, who thought their families had abandoned them. And here they were telling a federal judge their story and he would believe them. Where were most of these women coming from? What was their background? They were really from all over. Anybody that had um, vulnerabilities and those, could, those those could be runaways in the U.S. who had suffered abuse or neglect at home. They could be runaways who just didn't get along with their parents, and all of a sudden they don't have a place to sleep or a way to get food. And traffickers find these young people and exploit their vulnerabilities. There were also young women from Brazil, from Mexico, from Honduras and Guatemala. I had cases involving young women from Nigeria and India, so really all over the world. As you say, you've worked very individually with a lot of these girls. You've worked on cases where children as young as 12 were being forced into prostitution. How easy is it for a child who's been through that horrific experience to return to some kind of normal life again after that? Yeah, I was really impressed at how resilient young people are. Um, many of the victims that we worked with, it sometimes takes in the U.S. a year for a case to get to trial. The youngest girl, the one you mentioned, the 12-year-old, she had gone um, back to school and she had learned English and she walked into court so proud of the progress that she had made and wanted to show her trafficker that the lies he had told her weren't true. He had told her she was worthless. He had told her she was fat. He had told her no one else would love her. And she walked into court able to show him that she was becoming uh, a young adult, and it was very meaningful. On Sunday, June the 5th, Pope Francis will canonize the Polish priest Stan's Law of Jesus and Mary and the Swedish nun Maria Elizabeth Hasselblad in St. Peter's Square. The blessed Stanislaus was the founder of the Marian Fathers and a prolific writer who urged the world to contemplate God's mercy and guidance. The blessed Maria Elizabeth Hasselblad of Sweden was a nurse who converted to the Catholic Church and founded a new form of life of the Brigitines, known as the Brigitine Sisters. She continued to dedicate her life to ecumenism and the poorest. On to African news. Swaziland's King Mswadi III is set to become the next chairman of the Southern African Development Community at the Regional Heads of State and Government Summit to be held in Swaziland's capital, Mbabane, in August. However, the kingdom's pro-democracy groups say the country's absolute monarch should not be allowed to lead the regional body. They argued the king's administration continuously violates the fundamental rights of citizens by preventing freedom of speech and association. President Pierre Ngurunzinza has given armed gangs in Burundi 15 days to surrender to authorities and hand in their weapons or face unspecified action. Ngurunzinza was speaking during a visit to Mogamba district in the southeast of the capital Bujumbura, where more than 450 people were killed in early May. Tit-for-tat attacks between Ngurunzinza's security forces and his opponents have escalated since April 2015 when he announced a disputed bid for a third term where he won re-elections in July.
Kenya's government has welcomed the report death of Dalia Dean, the Al-Shabaab militant who allegedly organized the massacre at Garissa University College in April 2015. In an interview with VOA in Nairobi, Kenyan spokesperson Eric Kiraite said the death will help heal the wounds left by the deadly assault. Mohammed Mohamud, better known as Dulia Dean, was believed to be the organizer of the gruesome attack in which Al-Shabaab gunmen killed 148 people, nearly all of them students. A one billion U.S. dollar clean-up and restoration program in Nigeria was launched on Thursday, the UN Environment Program, UNEP, has confirmed. The environmental restoration is likely to be the world's most wide-ranging and long-term clean-up exercise ever undertaken. Nigeria currently has the world's 10th largest crude oil reserves and is the world's 13th largest producer of crude oil, according to the agency. Jocelyn Sambira reports. Oil was first reported in the Niger Delta in 1956, but oil exploration and production were suspended in the Ogoniland region in the 1990s due to public unrest. However, major oil pipelines still cross through the area and oil spills continue to affect the region. A UNEP report in 2011 found severe and widespread contamination of soil and groundwater in Ogoniland. Drinking water has been contaminated and Delta ecosystems, such as mangroves, have been devastated. Experts suggest it may take up to 25 years until ecosystems are fully restored. A letter attack carried out by militants in the Somali capital of Mogadishu has been described as a despicable act by the UN Special Envoy for the country. At least 24 people were killed and dozens were injured when a suicide bomber detonated a car bomb in front of a popular hotel while militants stormed into the premises. Two parliamentarians are among the dead as well as other prominent individuals. Killing civilians is an act of desperation, political instability, and moral bankruptcy, Michael Keating, the special representative for the Secretary General in Somalia, said. In a statement released on Thursday, he said that the militants may have intended the attack to be a show of strength, but that its effect is the opposite. Al-Shabaab militants have claimed responsibility for the attack. The attackers exchanged fire with hotel security guards and Somali security forces until the situation was brought under control on Thursday morning. The incident occurred only days before the start of the Muslim holy month of Ramadan. Mr. Keating said the incident was a stark reminder of the ruthless tactics employed by violent extremists. Meanwhile, the country is preparing to hold elections in August this year. Meanwhile, Security Minister Abdirisak Omar Mohammed told VOA Somali Service that security forces have killed three of the gunmen during a shootout in the Ambassador Hotel on Thursday morning and rescued 57 hostages the attackers had held overnight. <music> And finally, profound and rapid changes in the global work environment are generating optimism but also bring insecurity and fear. That is according to the Director General of the International Labour Organization, Guy Rada, at the opening of the UN agency's annual session in Geneva. Delegates from around the world have gathered to discuss a range of work-related issues, including the increasing role of technology. Daniel Dickinson reports. 
Social justice is a key mandate of the ILO. The agency believes that what Guy Ryder describes as already unacceptable levels of inequality and polarization can be tackled by providing decent work to all people. And as governments around the world look at how best to create those decent jobs, the ILO chief told the 105th International Labour Conference in Geneva that it's important to understand the global context. Above all, that context is a world of work undergoing profound and rapid change, transformative change. And for some, this means opportunity and generates optimism. But for others, it brings insecurity and generates fear. The potential for innovative disruption of productive life is celebrated by some, but by others it is dreaded. One of the ongoing transformations in the world of work is the rapid change in technology. The ILO is considering how that's affecting people in all walks of life. Lawrence Johnson is the ILO Deputy Director of Research. Since the beginning of time, man has been innovating. What we're seeing now is that speed of that innovation outpacing our ability to adapt to change. What we're looking at in the future of work is how will man interact with technology? How will technology help us solve several of the world's problems? What will this mean? Will it mean all of us have leisure time? Will it mean all of us have no income? What does the future look like? The ILO estimates that half of the world's 7 billion people have some type of job. Of those, around 1.5 billion are what the agency describes as vulnerably employed, people who are often not able to earn enough money to support themselves or their families. These are the people who are experiencing the unacceptable levels of inequality that Guy Ryder talks of. Technology is often considered largely as a boon to employment in the developed world, improving manufacturing processes, enabling remote working and boosting commercial cooperation across borders. ILO Deputy Director of Research Lawrence Johnson says it can also help people in the less developed countries. There are more than one billion people in economic activity associated with agriculture. And a lot of those are subsistence level farming. So their use of technology to demand a better price for their product or to understand how to make higher yields, it's going to affect everybody, but at different rates and at different outcomes. Government, employers and workers' representatives from 187 member states are attending the meeting in Geneva. Their views will add to the overall picture of what the future world of work will look like. And these have been your news from Africa and beyond. Have yourselves a very good weekend. Stay blessed. I am Mahdi Butelezi. You're still listening to The Catholic View, coming to you on Radio Veritas 576 AM. Thank you so much to Mahadi Butelezi for bringing us up to date with some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and beyond. I'm Shayla Birge, and coming up next is our youth feature. Welcome back to our youth feature. This evening we focus on the upcoming retreat for young adults in Rustenburg, we also take a look at youth unemployment, and then we bring you Catholic school sports updates.
The Vatican's representative at UN offices in Geneva, Archbishop Ivan Djukovic, has urged action on the pressing issue of youth unemployment. In a speech on Thursday to the 105th session of the International Labour Conference, the nuncio stressed that it is a moral obligation to create dignified and well-paying jobs for young people in particular. To do so, he said, requires coming up with new, more inclusive and equitable economic models aimed not at serving the few but at benefiting ordinary people as well as society as a whole. Lesedi Parish in Rustenburg will host a retreat for young adults on Saturday, 4th June. I spoke to the organizer and facilitator, Sister, Sister Mary John Langeni. The retreat starts tomorrow morning. It's a whole day's retreat starting at 9 o'clock to five o'clock in the evening. And this is all the initiative of our parish priest, Father Noel Gillespie, who is working hard in our deep rural Catholic villages. And why, Sheila, we have this um, retreat? Because um, our young adults are participating, have started actually this year to participate in Echoing the Word in Rustenburg, you know, a, a scriptural um, program. And they are attending in Rustenburg, Sally Park Convent School. And this retreat now, from this, they will be empowered to do peer evangelization. They need to deepen their spiritual life in this retreat. The Catholics living in remote villages cannot come to the big missions and ends where our parish priest, Father Noel Gillespie, an SMA priest, where he's staying. He is the man behind the progress of our deep rural Catholics, as I said, which are situated and need prophecy, closeness, and hope, so says Pope Francis. Now, because of all this, the Eucharist will be the center, as it is the pinnacle, the source and the summit of our faith. They will sit in silence to be fed by the Lord. You can't give what you don't have. As our young people now are exposed to so many things, we believe now there's this thing going around of blessings and blessings, which really is really um, degrading what we as Catholics believe, because blessings come only from God, and nobody can take the place of God and seduce and and rob the faith of our children by becoming blessed of whatever nonsense they're calling themselves. So really, these our young people. We we hope that at the end of it all of the day, they they will be able to give because you can't give, as I said, what you don't have. And we are what we eat. And if they eat of this body and blood of Christ, as we have just been going through all the, the feasts of the church, like, you know, the, the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Christ, where we all gathered together and they were participating since Christmas, actually. And then they went through with Pentecost and then the, the body of Christ. Now, we are what we eat and we become what we receive.
And so we hope that the grace of God and the Holy Spirit will work in the minds and hearts of our children and because these are the leaders of the young ones and these are the people that would spread the faith among themselves in their families as the family is a small church where the parents have to to guide them, where parents have to give good example, where parents will be able to wake them up in the morning to come and celebrate the greatest of all prayers, the Eucharist. And as our priest, as I travel with, with the parish priest every Sunday to go to villages an hour and a half drive for the first mass at 8 o'clock, that we should find these young people having prepared mass, having called their young ones, having to help those who are catechists that need so much education and so much of what our faith is all about. We've, we've got a hymn that we sing in our parish for the year of mercy. And it goes like, Jesu ame, Jesu ame, Kia hui kanya Jesu ame, Kia hui kanya Jesu ame, tears to my eyes can you believe that <laughs> oh my goodness yes but sister before i let you go i just want to ask you one question what are the major challenges that the youth in rustenburg face the youth there the, the, the are numerous challenges i don't know which one really i should pick up but the challenge as i say first of all and it's attending mass you know i was in period when I was in Judith, that last month when I was being looked after by the same Anske you know, going for physio, as he saw me. I went to Kiri to Padang, uh, and there were so many, so many people in church. And the big challenge here is God help our SMA priest, Father Noel, Father Martin, out in the deep rural, where we travel, as I say, for one and a half um, hours together only to find four, five people for mass. You know, when I look at the priest standing there saying, you know, uh, uh, calling the Lord to come down on the altar to feed his people and only five. But then this is what the Pope is encouraging us. And this is the main challenge that really you people, when you pray over there, 
should remember the priests that are waking out in the in the bundles, as we call it. And that um, and the other challenge is that the, the the peer group don't they don't want to to be going to to do things. And what the priest and myself has um, just introduced is the movement of scouting and girl guiding. Because then this is where the characters of the young children will be will be developed. And guiding and scouting, as you know, it's an international, non-denominational. As the Pope, I was listening to Veritas yesterday that the cricketers are going to England, meeting the Muslims and all that, you know, interdenominational people. And now that's what we want to do because the greatest challenge here, as I can say, the people have lost hope. People went to Zionists and whatever churches just to belong because we have no priest to go around and say daily mass and live among the people. So we hope that these young people now doing scouting and girl guiding will be able to collect these children and help with with the catechists because I'm struggling and with the priest to really train our catechists just to, to get the, the sacraments going. That, that's just what we are facing. Even the sodalities now, that now that we are celebrating the Feast of the Sacred Heart today, we just wonder how many of them, although they do try, thank God, to meet and pray, but they are not exposed. They don't know what is happening now in those urban areas where people, where the faith is just, ah, Johannesburg has really given me hope. And I'm just hoping that one day I'll bring our young adults to come and see Veritas and go and attend Mass and see what the church is all about. On the 25th of May, Dominican Convent High School's marimba band performed at the United Nations Center in Pretoria as part of the United Nations Africa Day celebrations. The head of the UN's population agency, UNFPA, Dr. Esther Mwaya, spoke of the importance of women taking center stage in Africa and encouraged all Africans to accelerate consciousness, determination and focus on eliminating poverty. Before the closing of the Sixth Scholars World Congress in the Vatican, the Pope held a private meeting with 12 YouTubers from all over the globe and gave some rather off-the-cuff responses to their questions. The Pope's main goal is to help these influential social media wizards to utilize their influence on the Internet to promote diversity and peace on a global level. These YouTubers, who also happen to be part of the rapidly growing millennial generation that participated, are from 10 countries and together totaling more than 27 million subscribers worldwide. Amongst the participants were young couple Matthew Patrick and his wife Stephanie Patrick. They are from the United States and were among the 12 present at the meeting. They both run the game Theorists Channel. Their goal is to educate their viewers with science, math and history as well as relation to video games and movies. Their YouTube channel is home to a whooping 9.5 million subscribers and counting. Here is Teresa Patrick. To see 
the, the kind of reach it has and how many countries it's, it's reaching and how many uh, children from completely different social, economic, and religious backgrounds coming together in a place of um, you know, just understanding and welcoming was wonderful. During their conversation with the Pope, the YouTubers showed interest in the Pope's initiative by serving as positive role models to others on a diverse platform like YouTube. Here is Matthew Patrick. We learned how much um, influence that we as content creators can really um, have on our on our fan base. One video is reaching one to three million ears every single day. By talking with Scholas, by talking with Pope Francis about you know sharing personal stories and having open and honest dialogue with large numbers of people and learning uh, about their experiences and about their way of life, you're able to conquer so much misunderstanding in the world and so much hatred just based off of not being aware of how a different culture lives. Scholars Occurrentes is an organization founded in 2013 by the Pope to promote education and peace. The meeting proved to be a success as special interest issues in topics regarding immigrant rights, gender equality, freedom of expression and greater respect for diversity were all discussed. Each YouTuber will share some parts of their conversation with the Pope on their channels. Time now for a brief look at Catholic school sports. On 1st June, the Dominican Convent High School netball teams headed to Sacred Heart to square off against the Queens of Inter-Catholic and some of the country's netball elite. The girls' hard training came through on the courts as each match was fiercely contested. The Dominican under-14 and under-19 teams emerged victorious and the under-16 team drew after an epic defensive stand. Next up, Dominican Convent School faces St. Teresa's in Rosebank on Wednesday, the 8th of June. The Dominican Convent School also did quite well at the under-19 inter-Catholic soccer tournament with one victory and two draws. And then on Friday, the 10th of June, is the Foundation Phase Mini Netball League Festival at St. Dustin's College. You've been listening to your Friday's edition of the Catholic View right here on Radio Veritas 576 AM. Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Shayla Pirch for Radio Veritas. Should you wish to get in touch with me, feel free to email me, Shayla at radioveritas.co.za. Until Tuesday at the same time, do have a blessed weekend. God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Shayla Pirch. Thank you so much for listening.